Doesn't matter how many times we sing that hymn, how great they are. It's just such a wonderful hymn, isn't it? I'm sure, we've sung it many, many times, but what a glorious truth! How great our God is. We appreciate the testimony, of the folk here, and the, and the work here, and brother Gavin and family, and we pray for you, and we uh, we love you in the Lord, and so thankful for your steadfastness uh, down here in Aubrey. You're a testimony to us. I'd like to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, we're going to read uh, this uh, chapter, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. We know that uh, Paul's previous letter, the first epistle, was a, was a fairly hard epistle, and uh, but, uh, 2 Corinthians, there's uh, this chapter which is a cause for much rejoicing. And uh, we want to look at that this evening, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, yea, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves yea what indignation yea what fear yea what vehement desire yea what zeal yea what revenge in all these things you've approved yourselves to be clear in this matter wherefore though i wrote unto you i did it not for this cause that had done the wrong nor for his cause that suffered wrong but that our care for you in the sight of god might appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, Whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. 
I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. Let's come before the Lord and ask for his help this evening. Father, it's an awesome thing to come and to open the precious word of God and to take its wonderful truths and declare them. And uh, we pray that you would minister to each and every heart here tonight. Lord, you know our individual needs. Uh, You know what it is that we all need to be instructed in this evening, what reproof and correction we need. And uh, we pray that you would uh, use your word by your spirit to uh, bring each one of us to that point of being more surrendered, having a greater understanding and knowledge of the word of God and being willing to uh, make what... Uh, ever decisions need to be made and whatever steps need to be taken as a result of the conviction of your spirit this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, appreciate the heart of the Apostle Paul. You know, he has this uh, tremendous responsibility, doesn't he? With uh, talks about the care of all the churches. Um, and it, it wasn't an easy task. Uh, we've, we're blessed with um, much of the ministry at NBF and uh, one of the messages that stuck with me that uh, Pastor Adam Thompson gave in the, in the men's session was the importance of keeping it clean, uh, keeping the ministry clean. Uh, there's a lot of enemies, there's a lot of temptations, there's a, a lot of issues to be dealt with in order to keep the ministry clean. And praise the Lord uh, for the power of the blood of Christ to forgive and to cleanse. And so we have all that is needed to keep the ministry clean. Uh, and that's the ministry is made up of individuals. Uh, we have all that we need to be able to uh, live lives that are pure and blameless and spotless before the Lord. Uh, but that's not saying that, uh, that there's not going to be sin. Um, but praise the Lord that we uh, are able to be forgiven and cleansed and restored in sin. And uh, we know that uh, the Apostle Paul was dealing with some sin in the Corinthian church. There was a a need to keep the ministry clean. And uh, not an easy letter for him to write, and and he was certainly not an obnoxious man by any stretch of the imagination. He was a gracious man. Uh, He talks about his manner amongst the churches as, as a a nursing mother, a mother who cherishes her children. Uh, that was the kind of care he had for the people. And, uh, and here in this chapter here we see uh, some wonderful uh, evidences that the, the, the exhortation and the reproof had been received in the right manner and had been acted upon biblically. And uh, then now there was some uh, clear fruits of that. So I'd like to share this evening... Uh, the eight fruits of genuine biblical repentance. Now, it's easy for someone to say, I've repented, or let's make it personal, to say, I've repented, um, uh, and, and rationalise and, and declare that. Um, but we, we have to go back to the scriptures to see you know, what true repentance uh, really is. We live in a, in a day... Uh, where there's much rationalising of people in their sin, uh, rather than true repentance. 
See, a truly repentant person is willing to put self out of the way. It's not about me. It's, it's about uh, my walk with God. It's about dealing with my sin, how God would have me deal with my sin. You know, some would say, well, if I've repented with my, with my mouth, I've repented. Well, there is false repentance and there is true repentance. And the scriptures are quite clear about the different fruit that will be revealed uh, in those cases. And it's obviously the life that is going to demonstrate whether or not repentance has been genuine uh, or not. Now, Paul is addressing um, believers here, so we're not talking about um, repentance under salvation, but repentance uh, within the Christian life uh, of sin that needs to be uh, dealt with. There are those who uh, conjure up a false repentance, but what is going to be evident is a going right back into what they were doing before. Uh, there's going to be no victory. There's going to be no true lasting uh, change. Their foot is still in their world, in the world. Their heart is still in the world. Uh, their lusts are still controlling their lives. We read in verse seven, uh, Paul's rejoicing. Therefore, was not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. We look at those words, consolation, uh, paraclesis, and comforted, parakaleo. It's, it's encouragement and encouraged. So yeah, I... I, the, the, the encouragement wherewith he was encouraged in you. Paul was thrilled uh, at Titus's arrival, but he was also delighted by the report that Titus brought uh, of the attitude uh, of the Corinthians toward Paul. And that's always a shepherd's burden, isn't it? When he tells people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Um, it's not, not easy being in leadership, when you've got to say things that people need to hear, knowing that they don't want to hear it, that takes boldness. And uh, when the report comes back that the response has been a spirit-led response, that brings great rejoicing. And that's how Paul was. Uh, he was blessed by their, their earnest desire or their warm regards to him uh, after he had written such a difficult letter. He was blessed uh, by their repentant spirit, their mourning. Uh, their fervent spirit towards him. And in all of this wonderful news, Paul uh, rejoiced the more. And verse 8, we see that he shifts his uh, focus to the first epistle, which we know had been quite sharp in a few places, because he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, for though I made you sorry with First Corinthians, <laughs> um, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the an epistle hath made you sorry, but it were but for a season. So his thought is, you know, for though I made you sorry with my epistle, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. Though at one point I had regretted it. <laughs> there was a sense, I, I know how this will hit hard. And there's that sense of regret, but, but knowing that this is what they needed, I, I don't actually regret it. For I perceive that this epistle made you sorry, but for a short time. And then we come to verse 9. 
uh, to the point that, that Paul's already driving at here. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. This is the key thought, isn't it? He rejoiced at the repentance which had taken place uh, in their hearts. Not that they'd been shaken by it, but, but the genuine repentance that had gone on. And he continued, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Or you were made sorry by God that you might not be hurt by us in any way. And that the point is that God had used this letter, this epistle, to bring them to repentance. And here's the great contrast. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Very different. Behold this selfsame thing, ye sorrowed after a godly sort. And here are these fruits, these evidences, this journey, if you like, of true biblical repentance. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all these things you've approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So how can we know that somebody has been genuine in repentance? Let's make it personal. How can I know that if God has convicted me of certain sin in my life, that I have responded as he would have me to respond to that conviction? Uh, what are the evidences that I will see of that inner working of the Spirit of God if there has been an appropriate response, real biblical repentance, genuine godly sorrow that has led to repentance? Not just, I'm sorry I got caught, or I'm sorry about the consequences, but genuine repentance. There's a misconception, I think, among some that repentance is only an event. It's just a moment in time. Well, yes, it is, but no, it's not. <laughs> um, it's more than just a singular event. It, it is a moment, but it is also a process that produces certain evidences in a person's life. Um, like sanctification, there is a moment in time that we are sanctified. Uh, at that moment when we're, when we're born again, when the Spirit of God dwells within, uh, we are instantly sanctified. But then there's a process, isn't there, of sanctification. There's a lifelong process of being conformed into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 speaks about that wonderful uh, transformation that takes place as we behold uh, the glory of the Lord in, in the mirror, in the glass, in the, in the word of God. We're changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So just as sanctification is, is both an event and a process, repentance is also an event and a process. Uh, and as we've learned in the life of Joseph, we know the story of Joseph. It's, it's reasonable, it's biblical to not only uh, look for these evidences, of repentance in our own life and other people's lives. Um, but it's, it's, it's right to test for them, to test for their authenticity. And uh, it's a wonderful study of Joseph, isn't it, when you see how Joseph was testing these brothers. Were they really, truly repentant? And uh, he put them through a few tests, didn't he? 
So let's think about these, think about these uh, fruits briefly. First of all, carefulness. Uh, what carefulness it wrought in you. Carefulness means heart searching. And it's the idea here that a person will accept personal responsibility for his actions. This person will see those actions the way that God sees it. And that's the beginning of repentance, isn't it? It's seeing sin as God sees sin. Uh, without justification, without any kind of rationalization, without any watering it down, uh, it's seeing our sin as God sees it. When a person has truly repented, there will be this sincere heart searching, uh, this asking God to search my heart and reveal to him uh, me the motives and the desires that were even involved in that sin. An acknowledgement uh, and a confronting of the areas of the heart involved in that sin issue. Because it's not until they're acknowledged and confronted can they be fully confessed and turned from. They can be identified, isn't they? Uh, it's a desire to be fully cleansed from the sin, a desire to be restored to a right relationship with God, and, and it's a sense of leaving no stone unturned uh, in, in looking at the motives of the heart. And that was certainly the psalmist's uh, heartfelt plea, wasn't it? In those verses we know well in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and know my thoughts. Every last bit of detail about me, my very thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's carefulness. That's, that's a fruit of genuine repentance. Job uh, 13.23 says, How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgressions and my sin. Make me to know. So a truly repentant person will be careful not to commit that sin again. Taking steps not to fall into temptation. He, he will really mean it with his whole heart. And lead me not into temptation. But deliver me from evil. And the model prayer that we're given by the Lord. Uh, it's a, re a removal in, in that carefulness. There's a removal uh, from the life, every aspect of the life that we have, when we have a say, or anything that is ungodly in its content. We're, we're careful in, in the home. We're careful wherever we have a say to remove all that is ungodly. Um, and the life and the attitude of this person will be noted by the carefulness not to fall into sin again. Um, a little story about Isaiah. He's here tonight. Isaiah, when he was much younger, got bitten by Zeke. Zeke was my mum's little black poodle. And Isaiah was quite young at that time. I'm thinking probably about Luke's age. <clears throat> and um, Isaiah had this incredible carefulness around dogs from that point on. Permanently scarred. I think he's okay with dogs now. But, um, it took quite a while before Isaiah um, put his guard down around dogs. He'd been bitten, uh, beat him on the finger, drew some blood, and uh, he it, that led to a real sense of carefulness for Isaiah 
around dogs. There's another story about a, a little boy whose father told him not to go swimming. And one day he came home with wet hair. So there's a dam on the way home from school. And, you know, don't, don't swim in the dam on the way home from school. Well, he came home with wet hair. And he admitted that he had been swimming because he walked past the dam. And uh, he was tempted. And he yielded temptation and he went in the dam and had a swim. And the father asked him how he happened to have his swimmers in his bag. And he said he took them in case he got tempted. <laughs> uh, that's not carefulness about sin. Uh, that's not the fruit of genuine repentance. And many people have the same attitude towards their sin. Expose themselves to it and then fall in to sin. Um, that's not carefulness. That's, that's foolishness. Romans 13, 14, I'm sure you're thinking of that verse as well. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. That's carefulness. Don't make any provision. Uh, we know our weaknesses. The enemy of our soul knows our weaknesses. And uh, one who has this fruit of carefulness will carry out radical amputations in his own life when it comes to being so very careful. Not to allow things that are going to put him or her uh, in any heightened situation of temptation, knowing the risk of falling into sin. Secondly, clearing. Yeah, we're clearing of yourselves after um, this uh, carefulness. There's this confession of the sin in its ugly entirety. There's this taking personal responsibility for the sin, the consequences that have come from the sin. Uh, and acknowledging it as a willful transaction, transgression before God and asking for his forgiveness. Uh, it's the act of clearing. In the act of clearing, it's a declaration of repentance needs to take place here. Uh, it's a commitment to God to turn from and completely forsake that sin that is being confessed. And this is really the event part of it that, that we spoke of earlier. This is the time where we acknowledge the sin before God, make this commitment before God to completely forsake uh, that, that sin. There's lots of examples um, in the Psalms of David's attitude toward clearing and, and dealing with sin properly. Uh, Psalm 32 verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. This is that clearing. I'll confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Psalm 38, 18. For I'll declare my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Psalm 51, verse 2. Wash me th thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me. From my sin. In verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. There's a carefulness, there's a clearing, and there's, yea, what indignation. Indignation is this strong displeasure. That's something that's considered offensive, insulting, or, or base. And once, once we see our sin as God sees our sin, there will be this attitude of mourning and an attitude of disgust 
over the sin. In this repentance, uh, we are grieved by our sin and the effect that it has on others. Uh, Romans 12, 9 says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Two very opposite uh, instructions here, isn't there? Abhorring and cleaving. Abhorring, it's, it's to hate extremely or with contempt, to loathe it, to detest it, to abominate. And when, a, when, when one has confessed the sin and dealt with it before God, uh, with the right heart, it will cause such um, spiritual anguish to think of the sin that he will not ever want to be involved in that again. Matthew 5, 4 talks about blessed are they that mourn. That's, that's that mourning over sin. For they shall be comforted. Uh, there is great comfort, isn't there, in, in the, the restoration of the walk uh, in, in, as a result of that process of, of uh, repentance. James gives the challenge, draw nigh to God. In James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. There's a lot of uh, words of action there that we are challenged with, isn't it? Draw nigh to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be afflicted, mourn, weep, laughter, turn to mourning, joy to heaviness, humble yourselves. Now this is our responsibility. Um, this was, this was uh, Peter's response when, uh, when the Lord had, had warned him, you know, before the cock crows, you'll, drop, you'll deny me three times. And uh, he, he remembered those words when he heard that cock crow and he went out and he wept bitterly wept bitterly Psalm 6 verse 6 says I am weary with my groaning all the night make I my bed to swim I water my couch with my tears this, this abhorrence of sin this indignation of sin is a good sign it's a, it's a fruit of genuine repentance and we see, yea, what fear. Fourthly, yea, what fear. See, true repentance produces this deep respect for God and for his holiness. And uh, listening to a message recently, talked about the, the lack of teaching on the holiness of God. Uh, it's, it's really uh, just disastrous as we look around at the typical uh, youth within the typical professing church today, and we see the lack of the fear of the Lord in young people. Uh, no sense of this deep respect for God and his word and righteous, godly living. But once a person has acknowledged his sin and begins to see it as God sees it, and he realizes that he deserves to be judged. Praise God for his mercy. <laughs> and... Uh, when we see our sin as God sees it, when we see God as he really is in all his holiness, as Isaiah uh, saw him high and lifted up, uh, 
uh, we become more and more thankful with great humility that we've received God's mercy rather than God's judgment. When we think about what we really deserve for our sin, God has been merciful to each one of us. Um, how did God deal with lying in, with Ananias and Sapphira? There was no second chances. <laughs> he just took them, just like that. What about when Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons uh, with strange fire, didn't follow God's instructions? God just took them. What about those young people who were being disrespectful to Elisha? They didn't do it a second time. Um, yeah, we, we understand God hates sin. And when we see it from his perspective, we understand that God is merciful. Yeah, when we can, when he, in, in his goodness, Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God is very good when he leads us to repentance. And uh, how wise we are when we hear that and listen to that conviction and how foolish we are when we justify our sin and we have worldly sorrow, which leads to death and destruction. Yea, what? Fear. Jacob had been a deceitful man in his life, and, but he had come to realize that he didn't deserve God's mercy. And he said in Genesis 32, verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Well, that was a true statement. He was not, he was not worthy, and nor am I and nor are you worthy of the least of the mercies and all the truth which God has showed unto us. One of the criminals being crucified along our Lord came to this point of repentance when he rebuked the criminal who scorned Christ. In Luke 23, verse 40, it says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Then he said unto the Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He received the mercy of God, but acknowledged that he was just receiving what he justly deserved. Yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire. Once a person has repented their sin, they have this godly fear of the Lord, they show a great desire to move forward in their walk with God. Leaving behind the sin and the folly. Um, and it's, it's this vehement desire is evident in the person's desire to change their thinking to God's thinking. Uh, how does that happen? Through the renewal of the mind uh, in uh, the word of God. Paul's burden in Romans 12, verse 1, verses we know well, and you've probably memorized them, and aren't they wonderful verses to meditate upon? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. What's that going to produce? Well, then you can prove what is that good, an acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed mind. Now we might be able to know the will of God. It was Peter's burden 
uh, in his writing, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. There's this uh, burden, this prayerful desire for, uh, that Peter expresses. Grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. So there's this vehement desire to go on in our walk, to grow in Christ, to leave behind the things that are behind and reach toward the things that are before. Then there's the zeal. The zeal. This person, repentant one, has a new zeal for serving God. For serving God in his local church, for serving God in obedience to the Great Commission, sharing the gospel, uh, serving God in the giving unselfishly of time and talents and treasures uh, for the work of the Lord, this zeal in exercising his spiritual gifts uh, for the benefit of the body and ultimately for the glory of God. Uh, there's this sense of I've been forgiven much. I owe a great debt and I want to with great zealousness go on and serve my Lord. It is just my reasonable service. It's not above and beyond. Uh, it's just what is expected of a servant. And then as we are uh, forgiven sin as we go on in life, uh, how much more we sense that great debt that we owe. And should that not drive us to greater heights of surrender, yieldedness, desire to be used of the Lord for his glory's sake in his great work, uh, there's this uh, eagerness to apply uh, holiness in the life, to be separated from the world and the carnality that led us into sin. Uh, we see its destructive uh, consequences. We see how it grieves the Lord and we want nothing to do with it and a great desire to honour the Lord in our lives from here on. Second Corinthians 5.17 uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It is, uh, it's, it's the word new in freshness, new in quality. I love Psalm 40, uh, verse 2. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, uh, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. Established my goings. He's put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. And when, a, when the Lord redeems a life, when the Lord forgives, when the Lord cleanses, and there's that joy, that, that confidence in Christ. Uh, there's that hope. There's a peace that passes all understanding. And what a tremendous testimony. Many shall see it and fear, shall trust in the Lord. And isn't that the desire of every, every obedient, repentant believer? That our lives would reflect the glory of God uh, and as we seek to be holy as he is holy and be a testimony for him. Philippians 3.13 and 14, we, we quote Philippians 3.14 every week at school. It's our key verse uh, for our school ministry. But the verse before that, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And this is this sense of, uh, I understand that I've sinned. I understand that I have 
failed my Lord. But praise God, the blood of Christ covers that. I can put that behind. And I can reach forth under those things which are before. God has a plan for my life from this point on uh, that he might be honoured as the Spirit of God has control over my life. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Leave behind the things that are behind. Reach for the things which are before, pressing towards that goal of Christ-likeness. Praise the Lord, we have everything we need, as Peter says, uh, to live godly. Uh, All that we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. uh, To be able to fulfill his will in our lives. We have it all in Christ. We're complete in him. What's the level of priority that we have uh, on being like our Lord? And revenge. Now, this is not the sense of um, getting back at the person uh, for an offence, because we know that avenge not yourselves, (laughs) rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay Seth the Lord. We've been listening to a giant killer. Uh, it's, a, it's an audio story uh, by Lamplighter that uh, we've been listening to up on the way in the car. And here he met all the giants. Very well dramatised account. And uh, uh, anger and bitterness is, is, a, is a giant. And uh, it brings out wonderfully the, the scriptural uh, tools we have, uh, weapons we have uh, that, that not take hold of our lives. So this is not about vengeance in that sense. But the vengeance here is, has the meaning of vindication. See, so once a person has really genuinely repented and dealt with their sin, there's now this rebuilding of a damaged testimony for Christ. And it's by establishing a pattern of faithfulness to God and the things of God over time. It's allowing the fruits of the repentance to be revealed uh, before others as the life has lived out. Uh, And over time, a person's testimony can be re-established in the hearts of those around. Um, And in that process, that repentance process, a person can be vindicated from the sin that once enslaved, once tarnished, his witness for Christ, um, Remember, before his conversion, Paul was the zealous persecutor of Christians. And after his conversion, it took some time. It took some evidence <laughs> that there had been a change, that you know, his repentance unto salvation was a, was a genuine repentance. Uh, because Ananias was, um, I, I believe, rightly concerned. And I think you and I would have been having the same kind of response when he said in Acts 9.13, Yea, Lord, I have heard many by many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Lord, are you really sure you want me to get involved with this man? (laughs) He sounds quite dangerous. Um, But, you know, Paul wasted no time, did he? He he was, um, had his sight restored, he was baptised, immediately began preaching the gospel, it says in Acts 9.20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he's the Son of God. Others could see the evidence that Christ had made a huge difference 
in Paul's life. There'd been genuine repentance. And it wasn't something that Paul could put on. And uh, genuine repentance cannot be put on. Uh, it's an inner working of the Spirit of God. God leads us to repentance. And it's a work that he does as we respond biblically to our sin. Um, and in the testimony that comes after that, in the very next verse, Acts 9.21, And all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called him this name in Jerusalem? And that came thither for that intent that he might bring them bound under the chief priests. Wow. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Uh, praise the Lord for a testimony of a changed life. And lastly, it says there, uh, you've approved yourselves clear. To be clear in this matter. It's really the final result, isn't it, of true repentance. It may take some time, but there will come a time when the person who's genuinely repentant is no longer remembered for their failure in sin, but for their walk, their testing with God. Mary Magdalene, Luke tells us that she was healed of evil spirits. Seven devils had been cast out of her. Imagine being a bit of a pretty wicked woman. <laughs> Having seven demons in you. Imagine what havoc would have been wreaked as a result of, of her uh, existence with such a, an evil control over her. But, but nowhere in the scriptures is Mary remembered for her past wickedness. Apart from that one verse and a brief mention of her healing in Mark 16.9 for the purpose of identifying her as that Mary. But everywhere else... Where her name is mentioned, it's for her loyalty to Christ, for her faithful service to him. Um, you know, Once Mary had been healed, had been delivered uh, from that bondage, she, she clung to Christ. She followed him loyally and obediently. She was there mourning with his mother at the crucifixion. She anointed and attended to his body at the tomb. First person that Christ appeared to when he rose from the grave. The first to tell the disciples of his resurrection, Mary was certainly approved to be clear of all her past life. And there's many other examples in the scriptures of people who, who recovered from their sin. You know, God convicted them, he led them to repentance, they repented, and, and uh, then they remembered for their walk with God rather than their past failures. Think about um, uh, Peter. You know, he's... He went on to be an amazing preacher. What a, what a great an apostle uh, he was. But how he failed miserably. Uh, Moses is a, a murderer, but he remembered, he's remembered as a great man of faith uh, in, the, in that hall of faith. Uh, a number of verses committed to his uh, testimony in Hebrews 11. Uh, David was a murderer, an adulterer, but he's remembered as a man after God's own heart in Acts 13.22. Abraham lied and deceived, didn't, didn't trust God a few times there, but he was known as the father of God's people and, and, the, and the friend of God. James 2.23 declares him to be the friend of God. So repentance we, we know is just more than just words spoken with the mouth. It's not just a singular event. It's the event plus the process that requires submission.
requires patience, requires endurance, requires humility. And, you know, when we are convicted of our sin uh, and we respond biblically, we humble ourselves before God, we, we have that, Lord, search my heart, reveal all the sin and the surrounding sins that I need to confess that are related to that sin, all the wrong heart attitudes. And we'll, we'll patiently endure our reproach uh, and the, in the trying of our sincerity in our repentance uh, as people uh, wait to see if it's genuine or not. <laughs> when we, when we apologise to somebody and, um, well, you know, time will tell if it's just been a, a moment in time, you've said what you think you had to say, and that was one of the um, accounts that came out in this giant killer recording we listened to this afternoon. Um, the, the young man was told he had to say sorry. So he did. But he wasn't sorry. There wasn't biblical repentance. And the process of true repentance is not altogether a pleasant experience. And Paul knew he was calling these people to embark upon an experience that was not pleasant. And, and dealing with sin is never pleasant uh, for uh, the one who's in sin, for the one who's having to confront the sin. You know, it's, it's not pleasant, but it's so very necessary. And I was just um, recently hearing an account of a pastor, um, not in this state, but uh, who was talking of some things that were needing to be dealt with in the church, um, some things that were creeping in, some things that were going to require some uncomfortable confrontation, and he said, I haven't been in the pulpit for you know, it's a, nearly a couple of decades, I think he's been there, just to let this go and let people do whatever they want to do, which he said would be much easier. <laughs> be much easier just to let people do what they want to do um, rather than confront. Uh, but he said, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to let that go unconfronted and, and have the destructive consequences of that. Praise the Lord for faithful men. Uh, who are willing to deal with sin biblically, but how it needs to be in our own personal lives, uh, that we need to deal with our own sin biblically, not justify it, not rationalise it, not water it down, not compare it to others and say, I'm not as bad as that. <laughs> uh, it was only little, but, but to truly see our sin as God sees it, and then to deal with sin as God would have us to deal with sin. Yeah, by the grace of God, uh, sin can be dealt with in our life, in the lives of our children, in the lives of those that are under our care. Uh, God has it very clear how it can be dealt with. And when it is dealt with well, biblically, we will have cause to rejoice, um, as Paul had much cause to rejoice in the beautiful fruit that comes uh, when we deal with it God's way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your heart. We thank you that you're a God who is completely and perfectly holy. Uh, as those heavenly beings cry out, holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty. Uh, we, we know that you hate sin and you've called us to hate sin. Uh, but Lord, we're so thankful that our Lord Jesus Christ came and bore the penalty for sin in full 
And for everyone here tonight who knows Christ as their Saviour, we know we will never uh, have to face the condemnation of our sin. It's been born once and for all in Calvary. Uh, but Lord, we know that sin can creep into anyone's life. Uh, if we are not uh, walking in the Spirit, uh, we know that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, but when we fail to walk in the Spirit and we uh, start to walk in the flesh, we know that we are very prone to going our own way and, and uh, indulging in that which was dis- is destructive in our own life and other people's lives. And, but we're thankful for the promises of your word that if we confess and forsake our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for your goodness that leads us to repentance. Lord, help us to take sin seriously uh, in our own personal lives, first of all. If we don't take sin person, uh, seriously in our own personal lives, uh, we'll never take sin seriously in those that we're called to, uh, to guide and teach and admonish. Uh, but then, Lord, help us to be sensitive and careful, uh, to deal with sin graciously and lovingly uh, in the lives of those uh, around us that we have a, an influence over. Uh, Lord, may we do it uh, with a sense of uh, humility and uh, Lord, uh, may you be honoured as uh, sin is dealt with uh, in a way that uh, you have so laid out for us in the Scriptures. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.